The Gospel of John chapter 20, and we will begin reading in verse 19. When you got to say so. And it says, Then the same day at evening, <clears throat> excuse me, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. When the disciples, then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Father, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for your word that illuminates our lives, that directs us, Father God. And it is my prayer today that our hearts would be sensitive unto your voice that we would be open to your direction, and Father, that we would rise to the challenge that is found therein. Father, we realize that you call your people higher, Father God, than they even think they can go. You call them further than what they think they can do, Lord God, but your grace is sufficient, Lord. And I just pray today that we would acknowledge you as the author and finisher of our faith, and even as we look upon these texts today, May you open our eyes, Father God, and let us see what we've not seen before. We thank you for all of this. In Jesus' mighty name, someone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. We are on the fifth message of gospel-centered. Gospel-centered, we, we started this message series a few weeks ago. And at this point, I believe that it should be clear for those of you that have been here for the last five weeks. And if you haven't, I would hope that you would go online and you would hear the messages that should be there for you. And that way you could be caught up to speed and you will be on the same page that we are on today. But at this point, we should realize that the gospel should be the center of the life of a Christian. If you are in this place and you call yourself a Christian, you say that you love Jesus, then that means that the center of your life, that means that your life revolves around a person, your life revolves around a Savior, your, right, your, your life revolves around God Almighty, and that's the bottom line. If you call yourself a Christian, that's the way that it is. Now, here's the thing. If there is anything, if there is anything in your life that is central, that is an idol, and you need to repent of that. If Jesus is not the center of your life, then you have an idol in your life. You have something else. And a lot of times, you know, we can have good things. And I love to bring this up because I think that it is vitally important for us to understand that good things can be idols. Family is a good thing. Amen? We, we had our men's retreat on Friday. Pastor Chad spoke about the love for the family and how important that is. And yet and still, I encourage you to understand that you can have your family as the center of your life and your family. You know, you revolve everything around your family and not around Jesus. And your family can be an idol. A relationship, you know, husband, wife, those are good things. Hallelujah. God said it's not good that man be alone. Amen. It is a good thing, and yet and still those things can become idols in our lives. Our spouse can become an idol, whether we, whether we like it or not. If everything in your life revolves around your spouse, you need to check yourself because the bottom line is that may be an idol that you're dealing with and that you need to repent of. Does it mean that you treat your family less than important? No. Does it mean that you love your spouse any less? No. It means you love Jesus more. You let Jesus take the preeminent role in your life. You let the gospel take the preeminent role. The 
same thing can happen with a job. The Bible talks about if you don't work, you're worse than an infidel, right? So that would mean to me having a job is a good thing. Hallelujah. But your job can become your idol. When everything in your life revolves around your job, everything gets adjusted for your job and never for Jesus, who is the center? You have to consider those things. And so ultimately, it's important for us to get that in this whole message series. That's what I'm trying to drive home is that the gospel must be the center. Jesus must be the center of our life. And again, I, I, I defer from using the terminology first, although I believe that he should be first. But the reason for that is because a lot of times we have, a, you know, we're checklist type folk. And so, you know, on the top of our checklist is Jesus. And then after that, we forget about him. What I want you to get is that in everything, Jesus should be first in it that's what I mean by Jesus being the center of your life not that you check him off like okay I prayed this morning I read my Bible this morning now I'm good when me and Jesus are okay and I'm gonna go and live my life how I want to live no Jesus needs to be first in everything so that's why I use the terminology that he must be the center of your life what we realize in the gospel is this is that God has redeemed us he has saved us from his wrath of eternal hell if you're a Christian in here today then God through Jesus Christ has saved you you no longer fear hell you're no longer worried about hell because of what because of what Christ did on the cross in that he also gave us a new identity he calls us by a new name he doesn't see us as our former person in this former conduct he gives us this new identity and that identity is his image we remember in the book of Genesis as we dealt with through in, in, in the, in, in the, um, the gospel-centered identity and the book of Genesis, God creates man in his image and likeness. And so we are image bearers of God. That is what we are called to be, is image bearers before this world. And because of sin, that image becomes corrupted. Because of sin, that image becomes alienated from God and totally different. And there's still some things that may look like God. And that's the reason why people start to think that they are God. They start to feel like, or they start to act as though they are their own gods because what? Because they're creative, they can think, you know, they, they're, they, they're able to make decisions, they're able to rationalize things, and so they begin to take that position of God, but when we get redeemed, God is, is, is restored to his rightful position in our life, and now he becomes the image that we're trying to bear, he becomes the image that we're trying to emulate and imitate, which is Jesus, and so by his sacrifice on the cross, we're given this new image. So then, as image bearers, we live in a new identity. I hope you got that. As image bearers, you are no longer identified by where you work. You're no longer identified by what's in the bank or not. You are no longer identified by who you are connected with. You are no longer identified by the things you have done or the things that you will do or the things that you aspire to do. But you are identified by what? By Jesus Christ, who he is, what he has done. And that is the new identity that we live in as Christians. We are not striving to gain God's approval, but we have already gotten that. And because of that, the next thing that happens is we begin to be worshipers. We begin to be those who worship God out of that identity. Worship is not you trying to earn from God. Worship is, is not you trying to get something from God. You don't obey God because you're afraid of his wrath. You obey God because he delivered you from his wrath. That becomes the difference, the, the biggest difference in worship. If I'm standing over you and I have a bat and I'm going to smack you in the face and you bow down before me, that doesn't make you worship me. That means that you're just afraid of the, of, the, of the result that will happen if you don't bow down. That's not the way God wants us to worship him. What God says is I already took the bat, broke the bat on the cross, and so now I want you to freely bow before me in worship. You're not earning yourself not a beating. What you are doing is you are giving me glory for who I am and the image that is now 
are in me. The issue with us with worship is that a lot of times we have this mindset and we have this way of thinking when we look at worship and worship is not just singing. We dealt with that. But worship in all of its totality, obedience and doing what God says and responding to him. We look at it from the wrong perspective sometimes. That's the reason why our identity becomes so important and that we understand fully what Jesus has done. And we realize that we are not earning cool points with God. You may earn cool points with your wife. You may earn cool points with your parents. Not with God. Jesus already won all the cool points. You get it? God doesn't love you more because you're better than someone else. He doesn't love you less because you failed more horribly than someone else. God continues to love you because that is who he is. That is his nature. And so our worship comes out of that identity. It is not that I'm gaining things from God. It is simply I'm giving God the glory and honor that he is worthy of. And as a result of that, then what happens is what we dealt with last week, which is supposed to be community, relationship. That as image bearers of God, we are supposed to bear the image of God one to another. And the only way that that is possible is if we are in relationship, in community. Remember, God shows us throughout scripture. He makes it very clear and very and, and evident in, in the beginning, he says, and God said, let us. And so he's talking in a, in a plurality, not that God is plural, but God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and he is one God. And so he is up there in relationship, in community. We know that there's angels that are worshiping him. We understand that there is community. And above everything else, as we were sharing on Friday night, one of, the, one of the greatest things as I was looking at love is that the love of God that is poured into our hearts, it is a covenantal love. When God pours his love into our hearts by the, 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 the seed of his word, and we are born again of this incorruptible seed what happens is we are born into a family and there is automatic covenant that is between us whether we know each other my brothers and sisters that are on the other side of the planet that I may never know I am in covenant with them because of the blood of Christ and if I ever move to those places then I will automatically have a need to be connected with them in relationship but again on Friday night I pointed this out I said you know it's funny because we come to church and, and, and it's kind of like our gym membership you know I said because what happens is we go into a gym we don't really know anybody who's there in the gym unless there's someone that you know that you have a relationship with and what you do you go into the gym you use the equipment you do your thing when you're there and then you go on ahead and leave and monthly you have something taken out of your out of your bank account or you pay a fee monthly and that's the way you do that it's the same thing in church a lot of times what we do is we come to church we use the equipment what do you mean Bishop well you use the seat you're sitting on right now you use the AC that's blowing right now just a few minutes ago you use the worship team whether you realize it or not to hopefully get into the presence of God and some of you maybe didn't get a breakthrough that you were looking for and like oh there was something lacking bottom line is we come with that mindset you're going to use me right now to be one who will hopefully speak something that you want to hear need to hear and hopefully that'll happen and then if we're lucky you're going to give something as a result of that and then you will go home and then you'll be okay but that's not community church is not a club hello we are in covenant with one another, and we need to have the right mindset. And so ultimately, what we have to do is we have to get that. We have this new identity, and so now we come together, and we're supposed to be in love with each other. And, and granted, that doesn't happen overnight. But I can tell you something, the, the, the more you walk with Jesus, there is something that is amazing that happens in your heart. And, and, and it used to be kind of weird to me because I would meet people and it was like instantly I love them. I, I don't know what it was. There was I just love them. And, and they thought I'm crazy saying, hey, man, I love you. They're looking at me like, you just met me. I, I know that. 
And I'm not, I'm not being hypocritical. It's not just like something that I say. I, no, it's, I mean, seriously, I love that person. I feel a love toward them. It isn't because they did anything for me. It, it, it is most of the time, and, I, and I'll be honest with you, most of the time it is because of the witness that is in my spirit with theirs that they're a Christian. And once that's there, something triggers. And you know what it is? It's God. It's not me. It's not because I'm so great. When I first became a Christian, I used to sit in my room and meditate on 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I have a book that I used to write down, you know, it was like a journal that I have. And I was like, man, why am I so unloving? Why am I so self? And I, listen, I didn't even get it, but I would sit down and do that because I'm not just a loving person by nature. No. I love my family because that was a natural thing. But ultimately, the point that I'm making is that when God does something in your heart and he begins to pour his love into you, something happens that you don't even control. It is just his grace operating in you toward others. And so we have to have that level of community that is in our life. And so it's also important for us to realize that with this new identity comes a responsibility to bear the image of God clearly in all areas of life. This identity needs to, be, needs to be bore in our family. This identity needs to be bore in every area in our worship. In all of these areas in work, we're supposed to bear this identity. Clearly, people should see something different inside of us. As disciples, when Jesus is speaking to his disciples here, he tells them something. And he, 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 he tells them in verse 22, look at it with me, please. I'm sorry, in verse 21, he says this to them. He says, so Jesus said to them again, peace be to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. I want you to think about that for a moment. This is a powerful scripture here, and we'll deal with what we're going to talk about today, which is gospel-centered mission. Because we are supposed to be on mission with God Almighty. Amen? We are supposed to be continuing the works that Jesus did. Jesus said that the works that I do in greater, ye shall do. So what is Jesus saying? That we, you call yourself a disciple, you say you love Jesus, then that means that we should be on mission with God. That means that we should be in relationship with him, in relationship with one another. And, and, and let me say this because as I was meditating on the message, this is something else that happened. One of the hardest missions to accomplish, glory to God, is just simply loving each other enough so we can be on mission together. Say it again. One of the hardest missions to accomplish is for us to continue to love one another so we can be on mission together. Why do I say that? Because let me break this down for you. I cannot do this by myself. I can't do the mission that God has called me to do alone. Well, number one and the most important reason is because that is not how he created us to do it. He created us to do this together. We need one another. And so while we think, because I know that we have those Islander Christians, hello, what do you mean, Bishop? You know, those that are like islands, they're all by themselves. They're doing everything with Jesus all alone. Those are islanders, you know. That's what they are. I'm good right over here. See you every once in a while, but, you know, no real deep connection. Listen, the bottom line is you're not crea- you, 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 you are not created to be like that. That's not how God created you. That is not how God wanted you to be in relationship. And when it comes to his mission, if you look at Jesus, when he sends out his disciples, he never, listen to what I'm saying, he never sends them out by themselves. At minimum, they're going to go out in twos. When you look at that same progression in in the book of Acts, when you start seeing the church send people out, you don't see them sending out singular people. They are sending out groups of people. Matter of fact, when they send out Paul and Barnabas, they go out. You know, Peter, he brings folks with him like, yo, I need some witnesses and some assistants. Goes out there. Why? You're not meant to do this stuff alone. I'm not meant to do it alone. And so if we're going to do what God wants, then that means we really got to get this third part down that we talked about in this relationship thing. 
We, gotta, we, we, we really have to come together and deal with life together. And we really have to come and be able to love each other through whatever situation or circumstances life may bring us. Here's what I want you to get about this sending. This sending that Jesus talks about, I want you to realize the language. Jesus didn't say, peace be with you. Can I send you? Did you see a question in there? There's no question, was there? In other words, he didn't give him an option. He didn't say, hey, guys, peace to you. So notice what Jesus is doing. This is after, just to give you some context here, after the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus comes on the first day. It's in the evening, in the morning. He already saw Mary and, 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 and you know, these other um, disciples that he walked with on the road of Emos. And so in the evening, the disciples are together. They're still fearful, and they're in this place together, and Jesus shows up in the room. When he shows up in the room, you know, they're kind of like, is this a ghost? Is this, you know, God or whatever? What does Jesus do? Shows him his hands, shows him his side, gives Gives them the understanding, this is me. This is not a ghost. I want you to see me physically. Then the Bible goes on to say, and you read it here in the, in the text, it says, then they were happy to see Jesus. They wouldn't have been happy if it was just a ghost. But they were happy because they realized this is really you. Jesus says, peace to you. It goes along with his statement on the cross when he said, it's finished. He's saying, peace to you. You guys don't need to be afraid. You need to receive peace right now. When he, when, he, when he communicates that peace to them, then he goes on and he tells them, he says, okay, as the Father, he says it a second time, so he's sending them, he's, he's, he's confirming this, he's making it clear. Remember when he does it in twos, he's making sure that it happens verily, verily. When he says that, he really means what he's saying. Says, peace to you in the beginning, says, peace to you before the commission. Every one of the Gospels has one of these type of commissions. They look different, and the, you know, the, the, the words are different, but every one of them has some place where the, where the disciples are commissioned by the Lord, and the Lord is communicating to them and saying, listen, this is what I want you to do and so he calls his disciples and he tells him this he says listen as the father sent me the same way that i came get this now this is this is the comparison and the reason why this is important because you might argue and say well you know that was just the 12 well most people don't believe that it wasn't just the 12 in that room it was the disciples that were in that room that's the first thing that we missed so he's got all of these people in there that are in this room together and so they're there he's telling them this so that tells me that it's more than just those people here's the second thing in matthew chapter 28 we'll look at that in a moment but there jesus tells them what to go and teach all things that i taught you so this is something that jesus is teaching them communicating to them so what would that mean that would mean that the same way that jesus commissions and tells his disciples i'm sending you is the same way the disciples would continue to say throughout generations i am sending you why because Jesus was sent by the Father in this earth to, to, to do something. And then Jesus sends disciples and his disciples will continue to make disciples who are going to do what? Who are going to come to church like a club? Is that what the vision of God is? It's going to gather a bunch of people together, come together, see how many people we can get to come together. And that's the end of the mission. No. He says, I want to send you on this mission. So he says, as the Father sent me, the same way that it was divine commissioning is the same way that I'm sending you. And this morning, that's what we got to get. We have to understand the same thing applies to us. This sending is not optional. It's not an optional sending. But let me say this as well. This, this is extremely important. The sending is not optional, but it should not be forced. What do I mean? What I mean is, you shouldn't feel like, oh my goodness, I got to go out there, preach the gospel. I got to go out there. I got to be an evangelist. I got to go out there. Listen to me. If you have that heart, I'm going to challenge you to repent before God Almighty and ask him for his heart. If there is anybody on the planet who had a right to be afraid, it was these disciples. If there was anybody on the planet who had the right to say, man, we just saw what you went through. So you and I, we read stories. 
Maybe if we can if we can stomach it, we'll go ahead and we'll watch the Passion of the Christ. And we'll see the beating that Jesus takes. A lot of folks, they just close their eyes. They don't want to watch stuff like that. It's too gruesome for them. But that's reality. Now think about that on an even greater level, that really being your leader up there being killed. Not me because I'd be a horrible one to exemplify. But... <laughs> But a leader that, you know, you really like, you knew this man was like, holy glory to God. You knew that this man, I mean, he, he was just rocking your world all the time and just making you understand that he was a son of God. And you thinking that this leader is the hope of your life. And then you see him beaten. You see him brute. You see him you brutally hung up on a cross, killed. Listen, you would have all kind of reason to be afraid. They had all kind of reason to be afraid. They had all kind of reason to feel like, man, he wants me to go out there and preach and do that. He wants you to go out there and preach and, 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 and potentially go through those things. They had the right to do that. But Jesus comes and he does what? He breathes upon them, says, receive the Holy Spirit. And we know they weren't, they weren't fully baptized in the Holy Spirit until the book of Acts. And so this is like just him breathing his peace upon them and, 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 and speaking a promise over them that they're going to receive in, the, in, in a, just a few days from his ascension. But what happens is Jesus is communicating to them. And what happens to us is we hear this and, and, and we have all kind of stuff that goes on inside of our hearts. But I want you to realize this sending, call yourself a Christian. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But if you call yourself a Christian, if I ask you a question and you, and, and you just think about it in your head, man, do I, do I consider myself a Christian? And you say, yeah, I do consider myself a Christian, be it how imperfect I am. Then you know what that tells me? That tells me that you have a mandate from God to go and do what he's called you to do. To be on mission with him and to serve in this world as an example and as a light. And sometimes that's going to be difficult. But can I tell you the most important thing? The most important thing for us is to understand what God is calling us to do and to cry out to him for his boldness and for his strength to be able to fulfill what he's calling us to do. Because you know what the beauty of this? When he goes and he tells them this word, I'm sending you, it's the word pempo, and it comes from the Greek, and when it's just a general word of sending, but it has the idea of somebody coming with you. And what Jesus is saying, man, is, look, man, that's why I'm breathing my spirit upon you. I'm coming with you. I'm not asking you to do this in your own strength. I'm not asking you to do this in your own ability. But I am letting you know that I want to go with you. Here's, here's what I want you to get. The automatic, the automatic result of meeting Jesus will be to share our experience. Automatically. When you really meet Jesus, I've told you all this testimony before. I'll just say it just to wake you all up. But um, ultimately, when I, when I first got saved, I got saved on a Friday night. My mom led me to Jesus. And as she led me to Christ, you know, I was high. I was messed up. She started talking about the Lord. The Lord was just ministering to me, really just totally just turned my world upside down. She, you know, asked me if I wanted to pray this prayer. We prayed, and I gave my life to Christ. I really understood because, remember, I've talked to you before about my understanding of you can't have two, you know, both worlds and all that kind of stuff. I understood the commitment that I was making. I still had some, you know, bad theology, and one of the bad points of my theology was that I thought that God made weed, so it was okay to smoke it. It was natural, and, you know, I, I, it's no, no big deal. I can love Jesus and get, you know, smoke a blunt, right? It's, it's all right. Bad theology. Nonetheless, God will work inside of that in your ignorance, in your ignorance. Let me emphasize that. So I call up my friend, and I'm like, hey, man, I got to go to Sanford so I can go and buy some of this so I can do what I want to do. And he's like, all right, man, I'll come pick you up. So he comes, picks me up. We're driving down to Sanford, all the way to Sanford to go buy this weed. You know what I'm doing? I'm telling him about what happened last night. 
all the way to Sanford. I'm saying, man, last night I came home, man, I was high. My mom started talking to me. I don't even know what she was saying. I was bawling. I was crying. I felt some. I heard a voice that I never heard before saying, you've come this far. You're going to stop now. And I was like, man, I, I got shook. And then she, he was like, yeah, he's listening to me all the way to Sanford. We paused because we get there, got to buy the bag of weed, buy the bag of weed, get back in the car, on my way back home. Telling him about Jesus. When we get to the front of my house, you know what he says? It's like, man, I need to go back to church. <laughs> we on our way to go buy a bag of weed. But I was ignorant to something. Now, I can tell you this, because I want, I want to make the story really nice, glory to God. I, I don't want to end it like right there, like thinking like that was, that, that was my theology. No. The next day I went to church. You know, I barely understood Spanish. But I went to church, and I, I mean, I had, I had received this revelation of Jesus Christ in my life. Went to church, standing there. I'm like in the back over there, and I'm trying to clap. And all the youth are looking at me like, what's wrong with this guy? He's always coming in here he got, you know, with a mean face. And today he's like squinting, clapping his hands. And after church, you know, we're having all this conversation. I remember going home with the pastor's sons, and I was like, you know, man, I don't know why, but I, I really feel like I need to throw this stuff away. And I went into the room, took the tray that I had, dumped it in the, in the toilet, and it was gone. Because God dealt with my theology that quick. Hallelujah. Because I was submitted to him. I don't think the pastor said anything about smoking out or anything like that. Maybe he did. I can guarantee you I didn't understand it. But what I did understand was a conviction of the Holy Spirit. Clearly. And I understood that something happened. God was dealing with my heart. I was like, look, man, that's not going to work. I didn't need someone to sit there and break it down for me. Here's my point. My point is, on the first day after I gave my life to Jesus, I had to share my experience. I did not know how to preach the gospel like I do today. I don't know how to do that. But you know what? I probably preached it better than, yes, then than I do today. Why? Because then it was just, man, God changed my life. That is the gospel, y'all. The woman at the well, what did she say? What was her gospel presentation? Did she come with in the book of Genesis? The Bible says that. Did she do that? That isn't what she did. She didn't go through the Ten Commandments of the law. That isn't what she did. What did she do when she went and evangelized her city? Let me tell you about a man who told me everything I ever did. And the Bible says what? And many believe because of her testimony. That's what your Bible says. Read it. That's your Bible. She didn't have the nine points of this or six points of that. Or five. She didn't have none of that. She didn't know, you know, the B.C. and, you know, the A.D. And she, she, she didn't know none of that stuff. She just knew she met someone who rocked her world. And she went and told someone else, and guess what? Those words had power to rock their world. And then the ones that didn't believe because of her testimony, they said, let's go check this out. When they heard him speak, they were converted too. Because he had the rest of what was needed. The point of the matter is, even if you, you may not know, but automatically what happens when you meet Jesus, you have to share it with people. And what I mean by have to is not because I said so, but because you cannot keep your mouth shut. Because you have been changed. You have experienced something that is beyond this world. You have experienced a life-changing thing. Now, let me say this to balance this out, because I know, you know, I got the theological minds up in here. Does that mean that I just stick with just, let me tell you about a man who doesn't change my life? No, man, you get theology, glory to God. You understand what the Bible says. You learn how to evangelize better. Praise God. Amen? That's important. But can I tell you this? Don't let your theology dampen your fire. Here's the issue. Many of us, we get so theological, the fire goes. The passion to do it goes. 
And so ultimately, it is important for us to be able to balance and understand what it is that God wants us to do, right? How do we do it better? We want to get better. If we don't want to get better, there's an issue. If we just want to stay where we're at, there is an issue. As Christians, we cannot just live on feelings alone. Amen? Amen. But still, we need to have heart in what we're doing. We need to have the heart of God in what we're doing. The first thing, please repeat this after me. Gospel-centered mission, when we acknowledge, it begins when we acknowledge our life is to be that mission. It starts when we realize that our life is supposed to be that mission. You can write the scripture down. The book of Matthew chapter 28. You guys know this scripture. Chapter 28, 18 to 20. Jesus talks about all authority has been given to me and, you know, from my father. And he goes on ahead and he, and he communicates to them and he lets them know. He says, I want you to go into all of the earth. I just want to pause for one moment because you know everything in that scripture. You're supposed to go into the earth. You're supposed to make disciples of all men. You're supposed to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all of this stuff is supposed to, this is what we're supposed to do, right? Y'all know that, right? Here's what I, this, this is the only word that I want to focus on. When he says go. He says go. And you know, what he, you know what that word go is? It's a word that is assuming you're going to go. Why is it saying that? Because what he's really saying is as you go, as you live life, as you do your day in, day out, as you go, make disciples. As you live, make disciples. As you do whatever it is that you're doing in your life. As you are in your neighborhood, make disciples. As you are in your workplace, make disciples. As you are in your school, make disciples. As you are among your family members that don't know Jesus, make disciples. What does he say? He's assuming you are going to go. You're not going to sit under a rock and wait for the rapture, but you are going to continue to live life. You're going to continue to go to the grocery store. You're going to continue to go to the mall, especially when they got a sale. You're going to continue Continue. Right? Dylan's got, you know, 50, 50% off. Oh, we're going, glory to God. Ain't nothing wrong with that. I'm just pointing out, you're going to go. Hallelujah. Right? As you go. But here's the thing, is that we, 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 we want to we, we compartmentalize our lives, man. We want to be like, okay, well, I'm going to the Dillard sale today. I don't have time to evangelize because someone might get those pumps. I've been watching them for like, you know, six months and finally they're on sale and there's only one size, six and a half or whatever it is you wear. And I know exactly where they're at. I got to get there. And I'm going to fight someone. Mind you, that person you're about to throw down with, that could be the person who you need to evangelize. But you compartmentalize your life and say, I need those pumps. You can go to hell. Yeah, he said that. Uh Uh-huh. Because literally, that's what you said. Those pumps, more important than your salvation. How beautiful would it look for you to say, you know what? God bless you. Jesus, I'm too slow. I mean, I'm, I'm just saying. How, 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 how would that look? How, how, how would that look if you were mission-minded about sharing the gospel with everyone, not solely the things that are to your benefit? Because you'll be on a mission. Some of y'all, look, I don't even understand Black Friday, but what, I mean, I don't understand it from the perspective of, I don't get that. I'm sorry, what? Anyway, I don't get it. But some of y'all on a mission, for real. Serious. 
Be at that place. It opens at 3 o'clock in the morning. You are there at 1 making sure you're in line. Are you serious? I'm just saying. When was the last time you got to a place two hours early to share the gospel with someone? When, when was the last time that you went out of your way to make sure you were the first one there so you could get the person's ear before anybody else? When, when, when was that? I'm going to go enjoy Black Friday. But can you have a couple of other, you know, Black Friday type events of evangelism? Hello, somebody. Listen. As you go. As you go. This is, this is what he's talking about. He's saying, as you go, make disciples. Here's what you got to get. The moment that you and I are born again, we receive the Holy Spirit as the sign and seal of our salvation. And what happens is the Spirit of God dwells in us, and this doesn't only assure us of eternal life and enable us to live as image bearers of God, but it also empowers us to be witnesses. Let me, let, let me deliver you from any false theology that you have. Don't wait for some grandioso, glorious experience for you to walk out of church and say, now I'm going to preach the gospel. Because that's what some people do. Some people say, man, I got to wait till I feel something. Listen, were you born again? That's my question. If the Holy Spirit, you know how many people have never had that grandioso experience? You know how many people have never spoken tongues? You know how, I, I can guarantee you, guarantee you, Billy Graham never spoke in a tongue. Never had that grandioso experience that some of us need to have. And look at how this man has evangelized and impacted the world. Do you think that he did that upon his own ability, by his own strength, or because of his own intellect? No, because he received the Spirit of God when he was born again, and he went out in that power, and God is going to use him for his glory and his honor. Listen, you need a grandiose experience. Can I tell you, look, get on your face before God. Don't eat any food. Just drink. Get, get yourself a gallon of water. Lock yourself up in a room with him and say, God, I'm not leaving this place until you fill my life with your power. Get serious about it. Don't just wait to see, well, is it, is it going to happen? No. Pursue him for it. Pastor Robert told us a story long, long time ago. He wanted to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He wanted to experience the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He went to the altar, lifted up his hand and said, God, I'm not putting my hands down until you baptize me. That, that, that was his conviction. He did that. The Holy Spirit came upon him. Powerful thing. His wife, different scenario. We got baptized. Pastor did an altar call. And he said, okay, if you need to be filled with the Holy Ghost, come to the front. I remember watching up there. Boom, the Holy Ghost came upon her. Praise the living God. But listen to me. We don't need to wait for those experiences to feel like, okay, now it's time. It's time the moment you meet Jesus. I was going to buy a bag of weed, y'all, and I was evangelizing. Hello? I, I mean, I, I met Jesus. Jesus does the work. I'm not, I'm not belittling. That, that was wrong. Let me say that clearly. That was wrong. Okay? I don't go to Sanford buying a bag of weed to evangelize. That's not how we do it now. Now we go to Sanford to evangelize and deliver those people coming to buy the bags of weed. Amen? So I want to make that clear. My point is, I didn't have some, you know, I, I didn't have anything like that. I met Jesus. His spirit dwells in me. And so now I move forward and his power manifests. It's important for us to get that. We have to realize that every conversation counts. Every conversation you have counts. Every conversation can become one where someone is ministered to. Listen, it may seem impossible. There is nothing impossible for God. It may seem like it will never happen. That is not true. The question is, what is your disposition? And are you available? Every relationship matters. Every relationship matters. 
And we have to realize this. Each of us has been divinely positioned to influence the world with the gospel. Each of us has been positioned by God's hand to influence the world with the gospel. What do I mean? The world right around you. I just used Billy Graham as an example. He was one person. One person heard a message. And look at how God has used him. You can be the person that ministers to that next Billy Graham. Hello? Just in a conversation, casual conversation. You could be the one that ministers that life, that ministers that salvation to them. The question is, are you available? Are you available to do that? Here's what you got to get, church. The mission, and all of us got to get this. The mission that God has chosen us for is greater than we can imagine, and it is beyond our ability, yet it is attainable by his grace. It is greater than anything. When I was talking to the men, I was talking to the pastors yesterday after the meeting, and we were having a little meeting, and, and we were just talking. I said, you know, man, I want, I want to let y'all know something. Our vision is just too small. What do you mean, Bishop? I'm not talking. I want you to hear this because I am not talking about, you know, faith dome. I'm not talking about that. We are part of something greater than faith dome. We are part of something greater than any council, than any assembly, than any fellowship of churches. We are part of God's universal church. We are part of the body of Christ. We are connected to the head, Jesus. And our greatest issue is that we don't see Jesus as greatly as we need to. That is our greatest issue. We walk into a building and we're like, okay, well, you know, there's like 135 seats in here, you know, halfway full, you know, whatever the case is. And so we're like, oh, this is okay. This is not okay. There are a whole bunch of folk that are out there dying. And praise God, he's given us a few extra seats so we can house them. Right? But the question is this. It's not about a building. It's not about a church. It is about the gospel. It is about the mission of God in this earth. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Is that not the same thing that you and I are supposed to be doing? Is that not the same thing? But the question is, do we really believe that God is able to use us? Which will bring me to my next point. Repeat this after me. Gospel-centered mission continues as we confront our hindrances. When we truly encounter Jesus, sharing the gospel, it becomes natural. It's not something that someone told me, hey man, you need to share the gospel. I can tell you from personal experience, and I'm not using myself as like this glorified person. I'm just using my own experience with God because my experience confirms what happens in the scriptures, man. These people could not shut up. When they heard about Jesus, read your Bible, and you will see how many times Jesus does something for someone, brings healing to their life, and he tells them, shh, don't tell anyone. And the Bible says they went out, told everyone. That's what happens when you meet Jesus. That is what occurs when you meet him and he changes your life. That's what happens. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus went against. He's like, listen, don't say anything. And they couldn't shut up. I mean, literally, he almost had like an anti-evangelism conference. Do not evangelize. Do not communicate what I did. Don't tell anyone about me. And they still wouldn't be quiet. What, 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 is that, what does that mean for us? What that means for us, it's the same thing that happens. I didn't, I didn't go to an evangelism conference to feel that way. Man, I experienced Jesus, and I knew this. Listen to me. I knew how my life was changed the moment I met him. That's the first thing I knew. The second thing I knew is I was close friends with all of these people, and I knew how empty they were. I knew that. 
There was no question in my mind because we, we smoked the same weed. We did the same other drugs. We did all of the same type of things. We hung out in all the same places. We were looking for all the same stuff. Every one of us. And what I knew in my heart, man, is I, these people, that once they meet Jesus, they'll stop doing all this craziness. Once they meet Jesus, they won't need that anymore. And so automatically, it begins to come out of my mouth. I begin to communicate the gospel. And that's what happens. But here's what happens. Sharing the gospel becomes natural. But what happens to us is negative experiences and erroneous teaching cripple our efforts. We have bad experiences. We go out there. Listen, let me, let, let me, let me tell you the bad experiences. I would share the gospel with my friends. And when I first got saved, look, they would come and hang out with me every day. Used to come pick me up. Excuse me, hang out with me. They would get high in front of me. I wouldn't get high with them. All the time, tell them about Jesus, 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 Jesus. That lasted like two weeks. Within two weeks, I had no more friends that were coming to see me. I'm like, man, is someone coming? I guess just me and Jesus. It's, it's factual. It wasn't like, you know, I went and I started evangelizing. They all got saved. No. But you know what I can tell you? Every single time that one of them went through a hardship, guess where they came? They came to the one who they knew was praying. They came to the one who was trying to tell them about Jesus. Did any of them get saved? Listen, I can tell you right now, none of them to my knowledge are saved today. None of them. None of them. But every one of them has heard the gospel. Every one of them has heard the word of God. And and, and here's, here's the thing. Those negative experiences, they can cripple our lives. You have negative experiences? People, you go and you try to share the gospel with someone, and they go and they, you know, they tell you, man, I don't want to hear that. Or they go and they come at you and they tell you about all the things they believe, all the things that they know, and they go through all of that stuff with you. And you have this, this negative experience that cripples us, right? We don't want to go out there and we don't want to share anymore. We start to feel bad. Our feelings start to get hurt. All, these are all natural things that occur, right? Okay, that's fine and I understand that. So we all fear rejection. When we say that, that that's true, right? All of us, we fear rejection. We, we, no, nobody wants to be rejected. Nobody wants to go out and be like, you know, with a smile on your face and, hey, man, I want to share the gospel with you. And they're like, look, man, I want to hear from you. We went out the other day, a couple of weeks or a couple of months ago, we went out and we were at the Oviedo Marketplace and we were sharing, you know, we were sharing some tracks and, you know, sharing the gospel. We were doing our little fishing trip, glory to God, from our, you know, one of the studies that we do. As we go into this, into the Oviedo Marketplace, you know, obviously Oviedo Marketplace is only so big, so you're going to run into the same people. And so some of the ladies had run into this young man and they shared the gospel and then the track with this young man. And I guess his older sister came out of the store where she was shopping and he was standing outside like, man, why am I at this mall? I want to go play basketball. And, um, you know, he's like all bothered, like, man, you know, I'm here and girls girls start talking to him. He's a real nice kid talking. All of a sudden, we start walking in that same, or, or actually to the other side of the mall, and he's standing outside. And so guess what? The guys walk up to him. And they're like, hey, man, we want to talk to you. So they start sharing the gospel with him. His sister comes out of the store, and she's like, man, you must be like the friendliest person on the planet today. His brother's like, what? He's like, yeah, because everybody's stopping to talk to you. And she's like, look, they already spoke to him about all of this. Okay, we appreciate that, but you just keep on going. This girl, I was like, we should have evangelized her, glory to God. She needs, but... <laughs> She was bitter, angry. She didn't want to hear nothing about Jesus. She was looking for them pumps. Hello, somebody. And we were, we were cramping her style. We were in the way, right? She's trying to find a sale. We like to, anyway, the, the point of the matter is she didn't want to hear the gospel. A situation like that can totally destroy you. It can totally tear you down. You don't, you don't want to go and keep sharing the gospel after someone tells you. You go to your neighbor, your neighbor tells you, well, I'm Buddhist, or I'm this, or I'm that, or I'm the next thing. And, you know, I have these different beliefs. You know, some of those things will make us want to shut down. But here's the thing that you got to get. If fear of rejection hinders us from the mission we've been sent on, we are bowing 
to an idol of pride. What do you mean, Bishop? Think about this for a moment. Who am worried about them rejecting? Jesus? No. If you're really real, it's about you. It's your pride. I know that's rough. It's like, but that's my fear. Listen, it's pride. Here's the beauty of this. Jesus deals with it in the scriptures. He says it clearly. Write it down. Luke 10, verse 16. He says that when they reject you, they reject me. It's not about you. When they reject your words, they are rejecting me. When they reject me, they're rejecting the one that sent me. Hear what I'm saying. It's not about us. As uncomfortable as that may seem because you are the vessel, right? I'm the vessel. I've got to go out there. I've got to put my face out there. But you know what? It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. It's about Christ. So how do you deal with fear? Forget about what are you afraid of? Okay. Here in the United States, for the most part, you know, there, there's obviously some crazy folks out there, but for the most part, you're not going to get shot for telling someone about Jesus. So you're not afraid of dying. Right? Not afraid of dying. It's fear of rejection. You've been rejected so many times. People don't want to hear it. I mean, it's evident. Most folks are very intolerant to hearing the gospel. So we're afraid. But we can't allow that to hinder mission because then what happens is we begin to bow down to the wrong idols. We're supposed to bow down to Jesus and have allegiance to him and be his representatives no matter what. And so we have this mindset. It's the wrong mindset. Here's another thing that happens. Many of us, we've been taught, now hear this, that we must separate ourselves from the world due to potential contamination. Right? You can't get around the world because you get around the world, they, 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 they don't love Jesus they love sin, and you're going to get dirty. It's like, it's like a little child in his Sunday best, and you say, don't go to the playground, right? Because if he goes to the playground, he is going to get dirty, right? Can I ask you a question? Is it a guarantee that as a Christian, when you go out into the world, that you are going to get your soul dirty? You shouldn't because you have problems if that happens to you. If you, are, if you can't have a conversation or an interaction with someone who doesn't know Jesus without you being, you know, falling into sin, there's an issue. We have a problem. God is not able to keep you then. When you look at this, what happens is you have this mindset. And, 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 and here's, here, here's, here's what occurs. We want to make sure you walk in holiness. We want to make sure you live righteously. And so what we say, look, you know, you, you, you can't be around those people. So you know what we end up doing? Well, here's, here's what we do. In the name of God, and, and I'm not saying any of this is wrong because most of this stuff I do as well. We don't listen to any kind of secular music, right? Because of what? Because it's contaminating to your soul. Garbage in, garbage out. Amen. Somebody please say amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to God. That is a good truth. Hallelujah. Right? Garbage. It's garbage. It's garbage in, garbage out. So we don't do that. We don't watch certain shows because, you know, garbage in, garbage out, same reason. It goes against principles. It's offending. It's grieving to the Holy Spirit. But yes, absolutely, 100%. We don't go to certain places, right, to go and hang out. Hear what I just said. We don't go to certain places to hang out. Because of what? Because those are places, the appearance of evil, we don't connect with that kind of stuff. Here's the issue. The issue then becomes, how am I going to catch fish if I never go to the pond where they are? How am I going to do that? 
How is that going to happen? Let me say this to you. It's very important that we understand this, is that we cannot be on mission unless we are in close contact with those on the mission field frequently. Heard that? Frequently. In other words, if you just see unsaved people like once a year, you know, at a family reunion, you are probably not going to have the greatest amount of influence in their life. Do you hear that? If you only see people one time in, in a year, two times in a year, you are probably not going to be able to impact them with the gospel. Why? Not enough frequency of contact. There's not enough frequency that you are able to influence their life. Here's what we learn. Now, now listen, we have two different curriculums that we teach on evangelism. One of them is becoming a contagious Christian. And in that, we learn most people hear the gospel seven times before they accept Christ. That's, that, that's the statistic. Seven times before they accept Christ. So we learned that we're links in this chain, right? So what does that tell me? That tells me if I see them one time, man, it's going to take them like three, like, like three and a half years or something like that in order to get saved if it's up to me. So we're not going to be able to influence them. I'm going to give you another scripture, very important scripture for you to battle that mindset if that's something that you battle with. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 13. The apostle Paul says that he tells them, the, the Corinthian church, he tells them, listen, I told you not to keep company with those who are sexually immoral. He said, but I'm not talking about those who are outside. He said, what do I have to do with judging those who are outside? I'm talking about those on the inside, those who are in the church, those who call themselves brothers and sisters in Christ. Those are the ones that I'm telling you, don't contaminate yourself with them. Don't even eat with them. Because they think they're Christian. They think, they, they swear they love Jesus, but they do not. Don't eat with them. Don't part. They need to know that they're not right with God. And you know how they learn that? By you saying, look, we don't have the right hand of fellowship. It's not like that. Because you are a bad testimony. It's not that I don't love you. It's that you... You say you're a Christian. It's not that way. That's what Paul is saying. Paul says, I've become all things to all men that I may win some. That's the heart of a missionary. That's the heart of a missionary. The last thing that I'll say on this point here is most of us, we get stuck in either a method or a model of evangelism rather than the heart of evangelism. I'll give you another scripture. Acts chapter 10 verses 9 through 16. This familiar portion of scripture, this is where the apostle Peter, he's up, he, he's, he's up in, in, in the rooftop and he's waiting for the food to be cooked inside of the house. And the Bible says that he's out there and he falls into a trance is what the scripture says. He has, he falls into this trance and he sees this blanket, you know, coming down from the sky and he sees all of these hooved animals and what they are basically is animals that are unclean by the law, right? The Lord says, go eat. And he's like, what? <laughs> I'm not that hungry. He's waiting for the food, right? Like, no, Lord, I'll never eat something unclean. He tells him again. Peter's not understanding what the whole vision is about. The vision is finished. People come knocking on the door. They're like, hey, you know, we want you to come with us. Peter gets this understanding. He's like, man, now I'm understanding because he's thinking about what is this really about? It wasn't about food. God wasn't trying to change his diet. That wasn't it. This was about evangelism. And God was saying, look, you, you have a certain method. You have a certain way that you do it. You're missing the heart of it. The heart of it is, I want you to go preach to these Gentiles. I want you to go share the gospel with these people. I want you to do something different than what you are accustomed to. 
And so what happens to us, we can miss it. Peter, in his, in his wrong mindset, he would have never stepped out and went and preached the gospel. He would have never stepped out and preached to someone else because he would have went by what he had already done. Here's the bottom line to this. The enemy will use whatever he can to hinder us from being missional. He will do whatever he can. And, and, and what we cannot allow is we cannot allow anything to hinder our partnership with God on the mission he has sent us on. No matter what, whether it's rejection, whether it's bad teaching, whether it's bad experiences, no matter what it is, we have to determine that we're not going to allow the enemy to get us off of the mission God has sent us on. The third thing, please repeat this after me. Gospel-centered mission is not a destination, but it is a journey. Again, Acts chapter 10, Peter, he's like, I'm good. I just preached the message. He says, you want to talk about a person who's missional? It's me. I just preached the message. 3,000 people got saved. This church is continuing to grow. We're seeing great things, wonderful things. And God is saying, I need you to understand this is not about a destination. This is about a journey. Again, as you go, I want you to do some things. The book of Acts chapter 4, verses one, or chapter 1, I'm sorry, verses 4 through 8, it communicates to us and it lets us know how we're supposed to embrace mission. Jesus says to his disciples to wait in Jerusalem till they are endued with power. They're going to be endued with power so they can do what? So they can be as witnesses in Jerusalem, so they can be as witnesses in Judea, so they can be as witnesses in Samaria, and so they can be his witnesses in the uttermost parts of the earth. So that is the mission statement of Jesus and letting them know this is what I want you to do. I want you to start right in your own family. I want you to start right in your own home right in your own neighborhood in Jerusalem, but I don't want you to get comfortable there. I want you to look beyond Jerusalem, and I want you to look at Judea. And so understand this, Jerusalem, one place, this city, and then Judea is the entire region. And so in our lives, the way that we apply this is evangelism starts in the home. Let me say that again. Evangelism starts in the home. It starts with our children. It starts with our other family members. If, if, if people that are in our family that they don't know Jesus, they, it starts with them. We evangelize them. But we don't wait for them to get saved to look beyond where we are. It starts in our neighborhood, right there, our neighbors. That is where evangelism starts. But then you go into Judea, and Judea is the entire surrounding region. So you can look at that as looking into your city, looking at the different needs and the different things that are going on. You can look at the different places like jails, detention centers, homeless shelters. These different places, those are all our Judea. All of those places are places where there is need spiritually for people to hear the gospel. What happens to us? We get real comfortable. We get comfortable right in Jerusalem. Some of us, we get comfortable in certain parts of Judea. But then he says, I want you to go beyond Judea. I want you to go to Samaria. Samaria is like right to the north of Judea. And he's saying, I want you to go not only to another place, but to a different tongue, to a different people. People who aren't just like you. People who you have absolutely nothing in common with, except for the fact that you have Jesus and they need him. Those people. Those people that are different than you. That is what I want you to get. That's what he's saying. He's saying, that's what I want you to get. I want you to get this. It's not about a, a destination. It's not a place that you arrive in. It is a place that we go to. Why is this so important? Because too many of us seem, I'm just going to say seem, we seem comfortable. Or we act as though we have already shared the gospel enough. 
or we don't have anyone else to share the gospel with. Hear me on this point. There is never a lack of people to share the gospel with. There is only a lack of people to share the gospel. Never is there a lack of people to share the gospel with. There is only a lack of people who will share it. That is where the lack is. A lack of people who will look for opportunities. A lack of people who will go out there and find those people. And let me tell you something. It is not very hard. Why? Because of the point. There's never a lack of people to share with. There's only a lack of people sharing it. So you don't have to go very far to share the gospel with people who probably have never heard it. Because we assume, oh, everybody in the United States has heard the gospel. Everybody in the United States has been to church. Listen, start having some conversations. And you will be, you will be shocked at how many people never, have never been to a church. How many people have never heard about Jesus? We think, we, we think it's not like that. It is like that today. It is like that now. And so it's our job to be on mission with God. Truthfully, we have to look beyond our Jerusalem. We have to look at Judea. We have to look at Samaria. And then we talk about going into all of the world. Listen, there are some of us, some of you in this place, listen to me. Some of you in this place, you feel like a great burden. You don't have like this great, amazing burden for people that are like local. And that's wrong. But here's the point. The point is you have a mindset like you want to go on missions. I, I pray that if you want to go on a mission trip and you want to go out there and you want to share the gospel in a third world country or you want to go share the gospel somewhere, I pray that you will approach us and, and, and let us help you find those to go on because here's what should happen what should happen is when you go out there and you begin to share the gospel and you begin to share in those places something radically should happen inside of you and something should awaken inside of you so that way you realize that you are in a mission field right now and that the people that are living right here right where we are they need the gospel too but going over there that may awaken inside of you something that is just sleeping it is important that we understand how desperately this world needs the gospel, but even more so that we realize that God has picked us to go on this mission trip with him every day of our life and every place that we are. We don't have to go to a third world country, but if you would like to go, please. I know plenty of people that could help you with that, that will take you on these trips that I know, that I trust, that I know their ethics and how they are, and I would be able to point you in the right direction. Here's the thing thing is we are all called to be on mission i said this here essentially our mission becomes most effective and fruitful as we reach out to the needs within our areas of influence and use our talents gifts and opportunities to do it and i was listening to someone and it made me think about Lene because Lene tutors and I, I was listening to someone who was talking about mission and he said you know what about if your church he said he said he, he made a, he made a good point he said i've never found a public school that has a plethora of tutors they always need tutors. They always need people to tutor. They always need someone. So what if your church just decided, hey, you know what we're going to do? We are going to pick a school that is local to us, and we are going to go and, you know, and we're, we're going to, not to say everybody can do this, but those who are able to do it, we're going to go ahead and we're going we're gonna to tutor for this school, right? Now listen, I don't know the policies on that whole thing, but here's what I do know. There was no policy about you being a great Christian in front of someone that you're tutoring. There's no policy against that. None at all. There's no policy against you developing a relationship. And okay, our tutoring time is between here and here. And so I want to talk to you about something. There's no policy on that. No, nobody can tell you what you can say on your own time. Hello, when we're not being paid, if someone wants to talk to you. 
And so the point, the reason why I bring this up is because we, we get blinded to how we can be missional. We get blinded to how simple it is just to take something. You're able to tutor people and people need this and you're able to do that. If you create an aftercare program or something like that, you're able to minister to someone and do these type of things as long as you are as wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. Find out what the laws are and then you go on ahead and you bring the gospel forward. The point is, church, that we have talents, we have gifts, and we have abilities, but we're too busy, too lax, and we're okay right where we are, not worrying about our neighbors and people that we don't know that are not very very far that are going straight to hell because we're not sharing the gospel. And that's real. And so figuring out what you're able to do. Pastor Robert, he coaches. He does these different things. He said he took a coaching position because he said, you know what? Every time that I've ever had my son has been on a team, he said the coaches were always fathers of the boys on the team. And I wanted to coach not my son. I wanted to coach someone else's kids so they could experience that. That's an awesome thing to do. And it's a way that you can share the gospel in action and develop relationships. And man, share the gospel in a way that is going to impact and transform transform lives. Sharing the gospel is not always getting up on a bullhorn and just going ahead and just letting it rip. That's not all. That, that is not the only way to do it. That is not the only way to do it. Sharing the gospel is not solely through handing out tracts. That is not the only way to do it. Sharing the gospel is not only in VBS, you know, vacation Bible school. That is not the only way to share the gospel. There are other ways to do it. You just have to ask God for the wisdom to be able to take your life and become the missionary that God has called you to be. But the question is, are we available? I close with these two statements. One of them is this. I, I put this on Facebook. I said, unless the gospel is preached, it's not evangelism. So here's my point. My point is this. I'm not telling you to go out there and go and tutor or to go coach or to go do whatever it is that, you know, the opportunity opens up and just do that and say, hey, I did a great deed. No. You, if you do not share the gospel, it's not evangelism. That was a good deed. I go on to say this. I said, true ministry is gospel-centered. Sorry to all of my do-gooder friends. Do, don't just do good. Be a missionary and image-bearer of God. Ultimately, it's not just about doing good stuff. It's not just about doing good things for the community. It's not just about that. The church has gotten sucked into that. And so, so many people, they want to see, well, what are we doing for the community? Man, let me ask you this. Are we sharing the gospel with the community? It is good to do good stuff. And it's important to be an advocate. And all that. It's important to do all of that type of stuff. But what is most important is that the gospel is being shared. That is what we have to make sure occurs. And I close with this. Successful evangelism, it is taking the initiative to share the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results up to God. That's successful evangelism. Successful evangelism is taking the initiative, taking that step to share the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. In the power of the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that you feel something. It is that you have faith that the Spirit of God is in you and he is with you and you leave the results up to God. I'm not the Savior. You're not the Savior. He's the Savior. His Spirit will do what he needs to do. But we have to take the initiative. Amen? As I stand on our feet and let us pray.